Joining me by phone today is Maine Secretary of State Matt Dunlap with the latest on the Election Day drama. Welcome, Matt Dunlap. Well, thank you for having me, Cynthia. So, Matt, it's really hard to keep up with what's going on as far as ranked choice voting is concerned. This week, the law court issued a decision. What does it all mean? Are we going to use ranked choice voting in the 2020 election? Well, you know, it changes almost every six hours. And (laughs) at one point, we actually went on a media blackout because I was trying to explain all the different scenarios to a reporter. And they kind of got something in their head and they ran with a story that we were doing something which we were not doing. And, of course, that caused the phones to ring off the hook from every other media outlet in the state. So they said, look, we're just not going to stop talking because this has gotten so complex and all the attendant parts have moved in so many different directions that, frankly, um, right now, I can't really say for sure if we're going to use ranked choice voting for president. Where we are, um, and let's go back a little just as a quick overview about ranked choice voting, which was adopted by the voters in 2016, had a few problems with it. Um, You know, one of the things that we had pointed out to the proponents before they ever even filed their application for the initiative is like, well, you have this language in the Constitution that pretty much says whoever gets the most votes wins. And they said, well, we understand that. But if the voters ratify this, we have faith that the legislature will address that. Well, that was a real leap of faith because the legislature did not find agreement on that. And when they did find agreement, it was to put a delay and so-called trigger mechanism that if you know you they would hold off on ranked choice voting for two years. And if you didn't amend the Constitution to address those concerns in the meantime, that ranked choice voting would simply sunset and go away. Well, the proponents weren't amused by that idea, so they took out a people's veto initiative to stop that provision from taking effect. They were successful, so we used ranked choice voting um, for the primary in 2018, uh, all the the primary election, all the federal and state races. And um, the people also upheld ranked choice voting and the people's veto, so... Because of that plurality mechanism, we can only use it for federal races in the, in the general election. We can use it for all elections in the primary because neither federal races nor uh, primaries are described in our state's constitution. So, um, But also left out of the original initiative was a provision to use ranked choice voting in either nominating candidates for president or electing them. So. That led to the legislation that's before us now. LD 1083 was introduced by the Senate president last year. They wound up passing it the last day of a special session last August. And the governor, a bunch of bills that had come out of, of the legislature, which sort of you know went beyond a, a kind of a brokered agreement on bonds. And so the governor held on to them, examined them. She let a lot of them become law without her signature. She signed a few and vetoed a couple. Um, so this was one of the ones that she let law become law without her signature. It was LD 1083. And because she let it become law without her signature, it wouldn't take effect until 90 days after the second regular session, which was scheduled to be um, – the adjournment was supposed to be like April 17th. Well, then the pandemic hits. And before that even, when she agreed to let it go forward, the Republican Party took out a people's veto of their own to stop the use of ranked choice voting in the election of the president. Well, so and it also fought. it also applies to the big U.S. Senate race, too, though, right? That is not affected by the legislation, because that was already in place. Okay, so no matter what, ranked choice... We're going to choice... use ranked choice voting for the Senate, and uh, if 
anybody I can't keep track of who's filed for Congress, but for the federal races, yes. Okay, so certainly the, for the Senate because we have a four-way race for Senate. Okay, so that there's no question that ranked choice voices, ranked choice voting is going to be used for the Gideon Collins um, race and other federal races. But what's still unknown is whether or not when voters either uh, vote by absentee ballot or in person, um, whether ranked choice voting is going to be used in the presidential. Uh, race. Can I ask you this? What other candidates are on the ballot besides Donald Trump and um, Joe Biden? Are there well, a lot I'll of? Get, yeah, I'll, I, I will get you that here in just a second. Um, but let me get into you know where we are with yeah, okay uh, with with the law, you know, and, and uh, the lawsuit. So the um, uh, the litigation that was that's that's now pending. We, you know, we had thirty days to file our application uh, to. to to certify the people's veto effort that was submitted on june 15th now um that was a deadline now for those folks keeping score at home you may remember that the primary was moved out to july 14th so while we're trying to get the primary out the door we're also certifying the people's veto with masks on (laughs) (laughs) about seven people doing all this by the way um so um the where we went from there, we 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 found they didn't have enough, and they had and to get like lot- sick for people who aren't totally in tune. The the people who wanted to veto the law that would allow ranked choice voting to be used in the presidential race, they had to collect like sixty three thousand signatures, right? Sixty three thousand and sixty seven to be exact. And okay. Of course, this is during the pandemic. I mean, they're having you know they're having challenges of their own, but they 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 had their press conference. They collected seventy two thousand signatures. Well, what they didn't say at the press conference is about 4,000 of those signatures had already been invalidated by the towns as not being of registered voters in those towns. So as we go through this process, of course, we basically sort the whole mess. So, you know, we don't keep track of valid signatures. We sort it by town. We sort it by uh, circulator. We sort it by notary public, et cetera. Then we data enter all the names and we look for duplicates. So... You know, if you see the name Cynthia Dill five times, what you want to know is, is it the same Cynthia Dill, in which case it only counts once, or is it five different Cynthia Dills, in which case it counts all five times? So that's what we that's what we go through. Um, the um, the process from there is that we certified they did not have enough. About 1,100 of their signatures we invalidated because the circulators themselves were not – registered voters when they were circulating this is the point of the case uh two of them in particular and because they challenged us on this they went to superior court and they said no 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 the secretary of state is wrong um these people were registered voters so one in particular we looked up had actually moved about six times in 10 years and when we had pulled up their um uh, their their voter registration it showed that it had been canceled in the town of livermore falls that's why we validated they said no 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 this person is a registered voter in, in Peru. Well, in fact, they were, except as we dug a little deeper, they had changed their voter registration in March to Dixfield, which is also where they'd updated their driver's license over a year ago. So they had moved to Dixfield in 2019, but were circulating as a registered voter from Peru. This is the crux of the constitutional debate right now. The Constitution of Maine, Article 4, Part 3, Section 20, which has these definitions, defines a circulator as a resident of this state whose name, uh, whose offering is a, a petition 
uh, soliciting signatures for a written petition and whose name must appear on the on the voting list of the city, town, or plantation where they live, that they are qualified to vote for governor. So that's, to us, that's pretty clear. The Superior Court judge said, well, they updated their registration before they turned in their signatures, so that's okay. Um, and that's what we're, we're waiting for clarity from about the Supreme Court right now. If they rule in our favor, we've already begun printing ballots with the ranked choice race for president on it. The um, um, The the people's veto under this scenario does not appear before the voters. So if the court reverses us and, and upholds the uh, decision of the superior court, then we're going to have some real scrambling to do here over the next few really uh, days. So, And the scrambling would be to reprint ballots that do not have ranked choice voting? Exactly. Because, you know, one of the suggestions that came from one of the attorneys is that we could just simply use the grid um, for the ranked choice as a for plurality, and I think that would really confuse the heck out of people. So you asked about who's running for president that you could rank. I can give you all the names right now. We have Joe Biden, obviously running for president, and you also have Donald Trump, but you also have Joe Jorgensen from the Libertarian Party, and Howard Hawkins from the Green Party, and Rocky De La Fuente from the Alliance Party. Those are the candidates for president right now uh, that have uh, that are going to appear on the ballot. Um, and so the question is, do you rank them or are you going to be picking one? And, you know, I, I don't ever try to presuppose what the court's going to do. Um, I've gone to the Supreme Court, as you know, about seven or eight times, utterly convinced every time of the justice of my cause. And I have about a 500 batting average. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, it's a, little, a little tricky to predict what they're going to do. When does voting start? It actually uh, has already begun. Uh, we had a deadline of tomorrow to get um, electronic ballots to those military and overseas voters who request them. And, um, you know, those are out now, and, and some of them have already started coming back. Um, so the people who request their ballots in paper, they're going to have them shipped tomorrow. And then in-state absentees will be available sometime uh, either on, before, or just after October 4th. That is 30 days before the general election. Now, who do you think this makes a difference for the most? I mean, whether or not ranked choice voting will be used, um, I mean, do you think it favors one party or the other, given the other candidates who I don't even really recognize any of them? I don't think it does. You know, and of course, I had a question from a radio show host not long ago. It was a Republican. And he said, Matt, why is this so polarized? Why is this so partisan? When did it become partisan? Which is a really good question because Republicans really do see ranked choice voting as something of an existential threat. And I think. Well, yeah, it's because because they win elections without it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, you go back and we start talking about some type of runoff voting even when I was in the legislature back, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the idea of a ranked choice system was really gaining some some popularity, but it was probably the re-election of Governor LePage that really lit the fire under the proponents of ranked choice voting to finally, you know, eliminate the spoiler effect, bring some consensus around who we select as our leaders, and that's what drove the initiative forward to the voters. And then, you know, the real stake through the heart of it for the Republicans was the loss by Bruce Poliquin in his re-election bid in 2018 to Congress. As you remember, I mean, on election night, he had a small lead over Jared Golden, about 2,000 votes. 
you had two third party uh, independents, more progressive, Will Hoare and um, Tiffany Bond, uh, who both qualified as independents. And the operative question was, did those voters vote for those candidates as protests or did they actually rank their choices? And as we gathered all the materials and did the tabulation, about half those voters, about 23,000 voters, about half of them um, did rank their choices. And about two to one went for Jared Golden as their second choice, which put him over the top in the second round. And he became the second district congressman. So, you know, until the Republicans (laughs) win an election using ranked choice voting, they will see this as a, a danger to them. And if the cycle turns eventually and the Republicans are in control of the legislature and the governor's mansion uh, at some point in the future and they have not seen the benefits of ranked choice voting, I would predict that LD1 will be an act to repeal ranked choice voting. Yeah. They just hate it that much. I think if ranked choice voting helps Susan Collins win, they may have a new attitude. Matt, what if, if assuming that you win and the ranked choice voting ballots for president are used – how long do you think it's going to take for us to know the outcome of the election? Well, and this is the way we set it up, because, you know, the worst thing you can have in an election is uncertainty. And we didn't know in 2018 how long it was going to take us to do this. But what we could do is tell people where we are in any given day. And that's, you know, that helps promote trust in the process. What we have found is that for a statewide recount, it takes about 10 days to get everything collected, scanned in, uploaded into the system to run the tabulation. Uh, It takes less time to do a congressional district, but about 10 days. A week to 10 days is a fair assessment, especially the possible volume of ballots that we're going to be looking at. I mean, we could be looking at 75% turnout of eligible voters. That translates into about 750,000 ballots that we're going to have to take care of for if we had to do a statewide uh, ranked choice tabulation. Um, So, you know, but you'll know on election night where things stand. You know, if nobody gets 50% plus one, you'll know who has 41%, who has 46%, et cetera. And then it's just a matter of gathering materials. And then we tell people every day, okay, we've, we've, you know, scanned in 100 towns. We have 403 towns to go. We've done this many towns and this many hand count towns and this many machine count towns. And then we do it all publicly and we run the tabulation. We learn something new every time we do it, some way to make it better. Um, but probably within a week and a half or so, we should have the final result. And that's before anybody requests a recount, which we've done a recount using ranked choice 42, which do, actually do, is a lot more smooth than people would think it would be. Do you think the fact that this question is outstanding about what the ballot is actually going to look like might prevent some people who are thinking about voting early or absentee from doing so? I mean, what are you going to do? And also, what are you going to do with the people who have already voted using the ballots that you know, that use ranked choice voting if it's determined that the, you know, well, the I mean, people's I think that's something that we have to, you know, with, with the ones that have already turned in their ballots, those were electronic ballots. You can send them new ballots. You know, we can, we can manage this process. Uh, the chances are that we could miss some federal deadlines that would compel us to pay money for expedited mail, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, at some point you just have to go. And when I talk to the attorney general's office about this, this is the scenario, because I tend to think in parallels, that it's like you have two people. One of them is on death row, and the other person is in a car that's gone off the road into a pond and is now submerged. 
a, a judge can, can issue as many stays of execution as they need to to make sure they're doing the right thing, right? But in a submerged car, there's only so much air, right. and that's what we are. We were running out of air, and if we're going to make any of these deadlines, if we're going to get these ballots to the public, we had to take what information we had and go to press with it. Um, you know, sort of crossing our fingers that we're doing the right thing. I think, you know, just listening to the arguments, the oral arguments of the Supreme Court, again, I don't presuppose anything, but, you know, um, it, it's not a, it's an informed risk that we've taken. Uh, obviously, if the Supreme Court uh, does something differently, they'll explain why they're going in that direction and we'll know that information for the future. It's, it's ironic in a way, Cynthia, because this particular constitutional language that I just described about how you define a circulator was an amendment to the Constitution that was adopted by the voters in 1975. The constitutional resolution that the, that the legislature approved to send to the voters was sponsored by a Republican House member named John R. McKernan, who later became uh-huh. the Republican governor Oh, that's of interesting. Maine. So <laughs> um, you know, this is a business that's filled with strange ironies, and this is just another one of them. Why do you think it matters if the circulator is registered to vote in the area where they're collecting signatures before as opposed to after? Like, is, is there any real reason? I know it says it in the Constitution, but other yeah. than that. Well, just in terms of the process, if you didn't have to be a registered voter uh, while you were circulating, that's a real game changer. We tell everybody that in order for this process to go forward, you have to file the application with the five registered voters who sign the application. And then the circulate, we tell people you have to be a registered voter to sign, you have to be a registered voter to circulate. The circulator has to take an oath. They witness all the signatures before someone who is qualified to subscribe oaths, like a notary or an attorney or a judge. And then they have to be turned into the towns by a certain time to verify before they are returned into the Secretary of State to certify. Fairly simple process. You know, the controversies around petition circulation over the last 20 years have revolved around paid circulators, circulators coming from out of state, sort of like as carnival barkers. You know, it's like, hey, I got this petition here. Because, you know, really, if you've ever circulated a petition, you know it's not normal socially to go up to perfect strangers and ask them to sign a legal document, right? right? So, you know, it takes a special kind of person to do that. And then and to sort of cover themselves legally, they'll have somebody who's a registered voter from Maine kind of standing by, and they're kind of watching, and then they sign as the circulator. And it's very difficult to police that. If you remove the requirement that they have to be a registered voter before they circulate, you basically throw open the floodgates to the out-of-state circulating circulating companies. Um, this has always been the concern of people on both sides of the political spectrum, that the process has to have some integrity, that the voter, when they look at a question on the ballot, should have the right to know that it is there legitimately, that the, that the proponents followed the rules, that, it's, you know, that they, they met all the thresholds, they did everything right. And this kind of opens a hole to allow for you know a, a vast network of professional companies to push petitions. And I think that's a matter of concern, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, how this process works. And that's why we wanted to get real clarity on this particular question. Nothing to do with ranked choice voting, nothing to do with any topic. The process itself is what we are the guardians of, and we need that, that guidance from the Supreme Court. Last topic, Matt, um, and you can summarize if you'd like. Um, What's the latest on mail-in ballots and the um, 
the postmark date and that sort of thing. What's the what's Maine's rules around when you have to have your ballot mailed, postmarked? So um, whenever you mail it, whenever you return it, under the current framework, which is in the law, it has to be in the possession of your town clerk by 8 p.m. on election night. So we, we have not gone towards postmarks. You know, there is litigation involved, you know, trying to urge us to go to a postmark deadline. We did a little analysis of the July primary and found that there are very, very few stranded ballots that people either postmarked on election day or the day before the election that didn't get back in time. A small handful of ballots. So we didn't see it as, as a real critical issue. But with all the discussion from the president about withholding funds from the Postal Service, and, and you know, we joined litigation, the attorney general joined litigation that was filed by Pennsylvania to basically stop the Postal Service from dismantling its equipment, um, its sorting machines and that sort of thing. And, and another judge basically has said that this is a, is a calculated effort to stymie mail-in voting. Um, and so that's something that, you know, we are – are engaged in actively with the court system, but also to the postal service has said that, you know, if people mail their ballots, not less than seven days before the election, there's really no reason why they shouldn't be delivered. We're urging people to, if you're going to use the mail to return them, don't wait. As soon as you get your ballot, mark your ballot, get it in the mail, make sure it gets turned in time. We have a new system in place that we're going to be launching here in 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 about a week or two that will allow you to get in information that your ballot has actually been received and accepted online. So you, you, know, you won't have any doubt in your mind when you mail your ballot. You, know, you can go in and check to see if it's been received and accepted by the town clerk. Uh, and that's new for this year. We are also uh, just got off the phone a little while ago with state procurement about getting drop boxes purchased for towns. If they can cover the 20% match that we need to obtain the federal funds, then up to $1,500, uh, we're going to be providing drop boxes for the towns that need them. Uh, uh, purchases is working very quickly on a bid to get companies to make these things so that if you, you, know, if you, if you don't trust the mail or you get your ballot late and you don't want to go to the polls, you can just put it in your town's drop box at town hall and it will be considered as delivered on time. That's so, a good idea. So, Matt, uh, I said it was the last question. Very, very last question. Very briefly, do you have confidence in the integrity of the system? Absolutely. And you know why, Cynthia? It's 503 town clerks that do the work. It's your neighbors that do it. And uh, they're, they're, they, they pursue this with almost a religious zeal to get it right. And that's what makes this election run properly. Maine Secretary of State Matt Dunlap, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care.